Welcome to the Tetsa Sherber Experience on Full Service Radio. Um, we are live from the Line Hotel. This is Violeta, your host, and I'm here with my co-host and partner in crime. Rob Duncan. We are super excited to have Vicky Ray with us today. Vicky Ray, Vicky Ray, Vicky Ray. She is a chef and author of The Wine Table. The Wine Table is her tale of her travels. She visited and cooked with um, 18 winemakers in France and Italy and closer to home as well. Um, and it explores um, their food and wine cultures with the aim of answering what does the winemaker's family eat? All right. So thank you so much, Vicky, for being here. Hey, also, it's like, Vicky, I, 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 this story is, you know, could be um, wrong or right. So if it's wrong, you can correct me. But I think, I, didn't I meet you at the McLean Farmer's Market? Yeah, we met at the when McLean we, when Farmer's I was like, Market. This is like 10 or 11 or 12 years ago or so. I don't, it was. It was a long, long time ago. Yeah, Obviously, this was, was before we ago. had children or anything like that. And I would go every Friday yep, to McLean Farmer's Market, my yellow Volkswagen bug that we called the Pojito, the little chicken. And, and I would pick up, um, I went specifically to meet with the, um, the Westmoreland, Westmoreland Berry Farm, Rose. Which we still buy from, by the way. Well, we don't there. actually. Oh, well, they change farms. So, I mean, the, 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 the grower, still, right? Yeah. Grower okay. Chuck yeah. Geyer left the Westmoreland Berry Farm and went to Agraberry where his wife, Anne, had started their own farm. So they're growing in Hanover, okay. Virginia, Agraberry. So we get all the berries from from Chuck still. He was the grower forever with Westmoreland. So, um, and I remember also, wasn't there like the other stand with Omar yeah. and Alma yeah. and all them? And that's where I would always get like the watermelons and the butter butter peas and, exactly. and all that amazing yeah. produce. So that's where I met Vicky. That's where which which that's in, in her book, she wrote about it. She wrote about, like yeah. she says, hey, Dolcezza makes um, local stuff and everyone says they make local stuff. But I actually Before, met, it was met cool this guy. And trendy and no, thing, she right? says we I actually met Rob at the... F- that's what we were doing. Well, she says that she met you at the farmer's market. Right. So I know, that you're legit. You were there legit. with, with your little... Legit to quit. Better yeah. than Both of us. Hammer. And I had a, a little red wagon that um, James Alfantis from Bucks Fishing and Camping had bought me so that I didn't have to, like, carry things back and forth to the car. I could fill up the wagon, take a, a little red wagon load full to the car, and then come back. It's the best way to cook. It's the best yeah. way to eat. Like, and you talk about that too in your book. I mean, you talk you like you have a whole section that I really like, which is you know you, you tell people how to shop, and well, advice, not tell. It's not preachy. Um, and one of the first things you say is like buy local mm-hmm. um, before you buy organic. And Rob and I have been preaching this for the longest time. Um, organic is not always the best, you know, but local is always the best. Well, my my theory on it is if you can buy local and organic, that's great. But for me, it needs to be local. I have, like, serious trust issues with regards to organic if it's not local. Me too. I it's mean, industry now. Yeah. and it's big industry. I, I said if, it, if your berries are coming from Chile, Chile, <laughs> yes, and they're going to be sitting on the uh, tarmac of an airplane, uh, you know, of a, an airport sitting, absorbing all those jet fuel fumes and how is that organic and let alone it's been picked way before it was like it's peak ripeness and so before don't all get me started on, on our organic laws what do we know about the organic certification right. laws of other countries yeah and what yeah. about all those farmers who can't afford the certification and grow locally it's beyond organic I had, a, I had a friend or I have a friend who was uh, a farmer up in Maryland and he and his partner were organic for quite some time. They stopped being certified organic, although they still were organic in practice, because they had to fill out, the two of them, the same number of forms that a big 
agro business would have to fill out. And that, and is, that, that is right there so is the problem. Onerous. That is, is the problem, and, that, and that's something that us um, being in a local business, right? It's the same kind of thing. It's like there should be some kind of distinction, differentiation, different treatment to look at the massive industry and the smaller family farms, massive multinational corporations that open up retail businesses and the local business owner. But they should not play by the same rules because they have complete exactly. different access, different structure, different corporate. But also a lot of a lot of the times those um, certifications end up being, you know, ways for those companies who to provide keep them the to others and the small ones not out. To make money. Well, to make money, but it's like it's multi-layered, right? Because the lobbyists for those big ag companies are the ones that write the rules to basically hem it off, so the smaller player can't really get into and compete and like. Um, and well, the agribusiness is brutal. I mean, it's. But I mean, it's the same thing in the retail like, environment yeah. as far as. Um, well, and if they have enough money, they can you know, get lobbyists to help right. them get special rules written for them. Which is what they do. It's called um, the farm bill. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, you know, we're, going, we're, mo- we're growing a lot into um, the natural foods market in, in the country, in the mm-hmm. whole country. And we're working with national um, distributors and national grocery chains and all that. So it's also now that we're moving into that territory... It's a totally different rules of the game and business where you go in and rub up and compete against big industry. Right. And it's just seem it's like the big industry has the resources to write the laws, rules, and regulations, and they're pretty much written to protect them from um, getting um, taken over or the competition to come in and take away from sales from them. So it's something that we see the same thing in um, farming as well. Well, and to bring this kind of to the 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 subjects of my book, the people who I wrote about are predominantly small family farms, and um, I always say this is an agricultural product. Whether you're making wine or growing growing berries, it's all it's an agricultural product. These these people are farmers, and when you look at a small winery. And the hoop, the the things they have to do to get their wine made, as opposed to a big corporation, and I mean there are big. It's I say it's not Coca Cola. There are big wineries that it's practically like Coca Cola. I mean they're huge. It's an industrial product, even though it's based on an agricultural uh, raw material. And I just have no interest in drinking those wines and in supporting that that industry in that way. So tell me this, why? Why? Yeah, just just curious. Why why do you say that? Why do you say you I, I um, feel don't like support industry and you but you want to support the local? I feel like for me it's the same way how I want to support small family farms for what I eat as well. Although what I eat, there is also the aspect of, I think it's healthier for us if we know who's growing our food. But I have a certain amount of money to spend on wine, and I want to spend my money for the people I want to support. Yeah. And um, I I worry that there's a globalization going on with regards to wine, and I talk about this in the book. Like, for me... Wine should taste like where it's grown. And there are places, in fact, the um, wine that I brought for us to taste in a minute is from a region in the western part of the Loire Valley in France, which is near where they have salt ponds. And -hmm. there's a certain salinity in this wine, and that's because the grapes are grown in an area where there would be like sea um, breezes on the in the wind That's which would amazing. blow onto the grapes and I feel like wine should taste like where it's from I think that's a good thing and I don't believe that in globalization of flavors I don't want to drink um, a wine, wine that, that, that tastes that, like it's from like, somewhere else right like I, I say <laughs> you know factory floor <laughs> Bordeaux that taste like California cabs that in turn ca- taste like our Australian Shiraz completely lose the magic Exactly. I want it to taste like where it's from. But at the same time, mm-hmm. with the impulse or the um, the moves of industry, there is that like um, thing coming back of the terroir, right. the region, the grower. So there is always like kind of both, right? Right. And that's the circles that 
we swim in. Right. And so we see that all the time as far as this grower growing this varietal. And it's, you know, it's an amazing and delicious and healthy. So, mm-hmm. but still 95% is still industry. Well, so still I wouldn't the, say that it's that way in wine. I think wine, it's not 95%. I, I actually don't know the exact percentage of it. I haven't done research so, in that so way. So saying that the smaller boutique growers are like um, there more are, a part there of There are the a lot of, yeah. of small growers, and I'm not even sure I would call them boutique, just small family farms that uh, I can't, I don't, I don't know the, the statistical right. breakdown of that. Is it industry yeah. and small family farms? Right. Yeah. So talking about fresh food, um, tell me about your th- three rules of wine table cooking. I like that in your book. Um, so the first one is... Do you remember, Vicky? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? Because otherwise I can help you. Or we can just start drinking <laughs> the, and forget the, about the it. The first one <laughs> is that you should buy the freshest, most local ingredients possible. And That's then, why and I then get out of the way. Yeah. Get out of the way. Like I, The second one is that um, why use four ingredients when three will do. And the third one is fancy technique for technique's sake is not necessary. It all comes down to keep it simple, stupid. Exactly. You know? And what I say is rules two and three are just offshoots of rule one, meaning get out of the way of the fresh ingredients. A very Italian um, yeah, approach very Italian. to your food and um, cooking. Yeah. And, um, not so French. Not so French? <laughs> Certain country French, maybe. Huh, country right. French. Well, right. country, everything is simple. Mm-hmm. Country, wherever, right. right? It's like Argentina, like, cut the, kill the cow, put the steak on the fire, and got gaucho cowboy cuisine. Why not? <laughs> when, don't when, burn the meat, though. Yeah. <laughs> the, well, they burn it the hell that's out of it. That's why. <laughs> one of the restaurants where, one, the, the restaurant I was cooking at, I used to push the envelope and see how at few bucks? yeah at bucks see how few ingredients i could actually put on a plate was it, could i really just slice tomatoes and put salt and and really beautiful oil on it and serve it and have no comments well, you got great, great reviews there so right. you got away with a lot of um, wonderful simple perfect Vicky food right. cooking at bucks <laughs> yeah. oh my god I was, it was like really like every once a month it was the burger it was right. time for me to get the bucks burger and i wrote about it somewhere i don't know where on the blog or something um maybe back and, before and that we was, had web page that was not a fancy burger it was it was well-sourced meat yeah and basically salt pepper yeah. And, you know, onion, pickles, and if tomatoes were in season, tomatoes. And that was it. There was no putting foie gras on it or yeah. grinding suet into I mean, it's just, it was a, a really basic burger. Straightforward. That's yeah. a, that's 100%. That's Bialette and I approach of, right. to all life. Well, we were just you talking about it this morning. You have a baby, you have it in your bedroom <laughs> in the water <laughs> with a midwife there. That's right. how we do babies, right? If you have a yeah. burger. It's we were like talking meat. about our gelato and how we're like, we're, we're not a trend. We've never been a we trend. We hate trends. I fuck the trends. They change day after day, you know? And like you have all the little guppies and the sheep running from one side to the other. And like, it's just, it's, um, it's very um, external externally driven and not internally driven what i like about your gelato and i've i've i'm such a a fan and i mean i didn't write anybody else's gelato in the book and i brag about you guys constantly (laughs) is that your flavors make sense that too is rooted in in, um, true tried and true and tested um matches lime with cilantro lemon ricotta cardamom lemon with opal base or blueberry with lemon thyme strawberry tarragon blah 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 it's like stuff that has um, already it, it works, right? And as you can, and it appears in certain cuisines or all around the world as far as just the different pairings. And, and all that notes. we're doing is buying fresh, amazing local products, right? And you know, pairing it. And where do you get your milk? Perrydale. It's yeah. a local. Up in New York. Grass grays, wonderful. Holstein small farm. closed herd. They have the milk and parlor. They have the bottler. The whole thing, which we got turned on to. Ten eight years ago from Keswick Creamery, mm-hmm. Melanie and Mark, because we always were looking for the dairy farmer that not only had the milk but also the cream. Mm-hmm. But that took, you know, you had to have like a certain amount of infrastructure, the separator to, to do that to the fresh milk. So then they introduced us to Perrydale. I said, not to steal your conversation about the book, but when we first started, they delivered the first time to the Georgetown kitchen. Mm-hmm. 
Tom Perry, who's the farmer, and his brother Chip, who's kind of more the business guy, they came down and they delivered the first delivery to Georgetown. And they were after that, they were like, never again. Fuck this. We're not coming down to D.C. and battling the traffic. We're staying on our farm. So then I started driving up with the white cargo van, picking well, up I mean, milk. You, and you had them coming to Georgetown, yeah, of all places? Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, and then geez. we had a walk-in fridge that... Had to weasel it down into the basement. It was a mess. So I started driving and picking it up from them. Which was also a mess. A mess. I would go up in a cargo van, put the milk and the cream, um, and then put a tarp over it and throw ice over it. And, you know, Which is completely illegal. Yeah, going across some state lines. <laughs> you know, that whole thing. Yeah. But that one thing led to the other. And so now, finally, finally, they've got what's called the um, IMS, Interstate Milk Shippers License. And so we're getting... It to where they get their milk to a distributor, Chef's Warehouse here, and then we'll be able to pull their milk and cream. Well, so. plus I would have to say, coming going out to, and I don't, do you call it a factory? Yeah, yeah. gelato I mean, factory and going coffee out lab. Going to the, the factory like that as word, opposed to going to Georgetown. Oh, oh I man. Mean, no, I mean, coming it's just, Georgetown was 50. the wrong place for us. Yeah. It was really? always, you definitely, we I, never felt at home there. By the way, I was, always an, I was annoyed when you closed. I know. That was the, but now it's all it right. I go the to the Merrifield one. Yeah, it was just, it was just one, it started 14 and a half years ago and it was so far off the beaten path, you know, and it yeah. was just one of those that, it, it performed okay, but it was not enough to, and Georgetown required. is not what it used to be, right? Well, the Georgetown. city has changed. There's all these new neighborhoods. It's very vibrant, and people are going well, there's elsewhere. There's restaurants and coffee shops, and there's so much offering now. I, it's I less want, of a destination. I want to put in my request that you have the creme fraiche more often at the um, at the shops. At the shops. We'll have to do that. Because I'm, I think I'm the one who likes. It. Yeah, we, <laughs> we did, used we to did sell the creme fraiche for bucks. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah, yeah for so. a while. But tell me about your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Vicky. So why enough you? about us. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, I want to hear about everything that you did. I read that you cook for the harvest and winery workers in yeah. France. I, I that you party with these people that were drinking the wine with. <laughs> I mean, tell me more about this. So the idea of the book was well, first of all, to back up, I um, spent years working in the food and wine industry sometimes as a wine consultant retail sometimes as a chef and wine director and before bucks or, or post bucks both okay both. so um and for me it was always not just food or just wine it was the combination of the two together and i always said it's the wine table it's about eating and drinking together and when i was at bucks i had um, these people come in who were winemakers and there was a man and his son come in and I was serving them duck confit with uh, a frisé salad with duck cracklings in it. And they go, oh, that's cool. Um, the specialty of our home region is this bread with duck cracklings just kneaded into it. And it's my wife's specialty. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. I would love to go and learn to cook something like that from someone and that I kind of I ruminated on that for a while and I had visited um, a winemaker in Alsace where the lady showed me this amazing kitchen and she says look at my table and the table's bigger than the Bucks table if oh you can imagine the Bucks table seats 24 and it <laughs> says this is where the harvest workers we cook for them and and I thought wow that would be so cool cooking the harvest with for people so I, I thought about this for a while and I finally decided that I wanted to do this and um, I love James. He James is the owner at Bucks. He probably would have said, sure, you can take, uh, you know, three or four months off and go do this. And I thought that would be great because then the Post would come and review the restaurant. And, and I wouldn't would be here. It would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't James be there. <laughs> and they wouldn't blame James. They wouldn't say, James is so nice. He let her go away for four months. No. They would just say, yeah. the Scandal. Food's, uh, yeah. So I went ahead and gave my notice, and it was sad because I loved the restaurant. But then what I did was that summer I traveled, I think, four times to France and Italy at about three weeks per, um, it was spring through fall, uh, three weeks at a time. And I would go and I would find ahead of time, I would plan which winemakers I was going to visit, and then I would cook with the winemakers with the idea of seeing 
what, as we said, what does the winemaker's family eat? Because that was always what I was most curious about when it came to pairing food and wine. Everybody else says, oh, you pair for this chemical reason and that. And I always said, no, for me, what does the winemaker's family eat? They know best what food goes with their wine. So that was the process. Then I had to, it took me a while to really organize in my mind how I wanted to organize the chapters, etc. But I, I finally got to the point where I knew that I wanted to talk about the wines of the region. So like the wine laws, and I like to say the book has the wine laws such as they were at the time that I wrote the book, because wine laws change. The wines of that winery, the food culture of the region, I'm pretty specific going in depth because food cultures change much more geographically quickly in France and Italy like you can go 50 kilometers and they have different specialties much more than than we do here and then um, my experience is cooking with them and then I gave the recipes of each um, of each wine which by the way it's a 500 page book guys that took you like four years it's a super personal project oh it's a beautiful amazing book you were saying you took 95% of the pictures and Mm -hmm. you did most of the traveling alone and she wrote all I mean mean, you're kicking ass yeah (laughs) yeah so um, yeah 95% of the photos I took myself I every once in a while would have seen a photo on their website that I liked and thought oh no I, I absolutely have to have that photo or if I had a picture that I got home and it didn't turn out to look as the way I wanted I would write them and say can you send me a photo or something and that that's those must have been amazing experiences it was really good over there for that amount of time and spend time with families in the country growing wine and making wine it was really cool the harvest was very interesting just to see how each winery um, structured feeding their workers in in a different fashion um and then the but going like we're talking about partying with people i went to visit a friend who i already had known slightly um i met her like three or four times at wine tastings here in dc and but i mean i went to visit her in chianti and she invited all these other winemaker friends and all her best friends it's like she has like so many friends and we had a party until like three in the morning on the balcony overlooking her vineyards in Chianti. It was amazing. Oh my I mean, gosh. You know, and I'm very jealous. Yeah, right like we, we party with our three year old and our six year yeah, old. Yeah, like in those moments we when you're like. We have played all over and it's just really not cool. Despacito, it's fun. the two year old Luna's for the sixth time in her dress dancing <laughs> Despacito. Yeah, that's our kind of party yeah. nowadays. We so I'm ready to drink some Muscadet. Yeah, so tell us, what did you bring us, Vicky? Okay, so um, one of the first wineries I visited that I included in the book was a winery in Muscadet in the, the Atlantic. I love, finally, I'm learning the, um, the right way to pronounce all this stuff. <laughs> the, the Loire Muscadet. Atlantique, <laughs> um, right up against the, the ocean. And so this is a salmon recipe. It's not smoked. It's cured salmon. You just take salmon, um, put some salt and sugar on it, leave it over with a little, like, this has cumin and dill and a little bit of lemon, but leave it overnight. Then the next morning you wash the salt and sugar off and it's ready. How how long will that um, hold, will last? Well, in my house, we kind of tend to eat it. So um, I would would guess... A week would be okay? I might say more like three or four days. Okay. I mean... Because we eat salmon all the time. It's not... I don't actually know the answer to that. So Um, it's not as preserved like if you have it smoked, obviously. I don't think so. Like, but smoked, once you open it, it you should eat it within like seven days, I I think. Um, You could probably do within seven days, but I mean, I tend to... Go three to fast. four days, yeah. yeah. So I say that while we eat and drink, we can take a little break. Okay. And then we'll be back. With and we'll Vicky tell Ray. you all about it. <laughs> yeah.
This is the Dolceza Sherbert Experience, only on Full Service Radio. We'll be right back. The Dolcesa Sherver experience. Um, we are with, we are today, at the Line Hotel, and our guest is Vicky Ray. She's the chef and author of the Wine Table. This incredible book that she wrote um, while traveling in France and Italy and cooking with the winemakers. So, Vicky, I want to hear about your love for traveling. Um, I read somewhere that you come from a military family that you were traveling your whole life so the traveling is in your blood so tell mm -hmm. me more about this so um, my father was in the Air Force and when you're an Air Force fa uh, military family you travel a lot and it was kind of funny because I don't necessarily think my family liked traveling and in fact when we would go on vacation every year we would go back to visit family rather than That's not a complaint. I mean, it was what our vacation was. We would go back and visit um, my grandparents in Kansas. And then every other year we would do that, but tack on a trip to Upper Michigan. And pretty much, I mean, that's, that's your vacation. And it was funny when I was in high school, I started studying French and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm just in love with this whole idea of, of this culture. Because, you know, Interestingly enough, a lot of language books teach you about the culture as well. It's not just learning the language. And I really fell in love with the French culture. So I majored in, in college in French. And then the first time I went to France, it was just, that was it. I mean, I fell totally in love with that country and the culture and the food and the people. It's kind of easy to do with France and the culture there. You know, it's funny. France gets such a bad rap. Because it does. Are, but people, you, because people are idiots. Do you know Rob. what the number... I'm sorry. I mean, do you know the, what the Americans, the, I think, are the only the ones that complain about the French. I guarantee outside of it's like... You, it's, you want to know what the most visited tourist destination in the world is? Well, Disney. Disney World. France. Ah. <laughs> wow. I mean, it is the number one tourist destination in the world. Right. If it's so horrible, how come everybody goes there? I, I swear, I think that horribleness is just only an American critique. And it's just <laughs> like you have tourists get off the bus and like want to take pictures. And then because they don't you know, speak the language to you or serve you an American hamburger and it's not what you wanted it because it's not what you have back in America. It's like, man, this ain't American. It's like, then that's the whole point. I think that's, I don't, I don't, I mean, you never heard complaints about French, did you, in Argentina? Uh, I haven't, but I mean, I just I'm wonder sure if there's more than that. thing like the French, you know, it's like this and that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I could be I, just negative on them, um, <laughs> my fellow Americans. <laughs> so I do think, I think they have a bad rap. Additionally, my husband works for an Italian company, so mm, we have traveled rivals, to Italy. Football. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's all about football. To Italy, <laughs> and... Um, So that was just logical, logical for me. Plus, I, those are the wines I like the best, French and Italian wines. So that's kind of how I ended up choosing those, those countries. And for the most part, I have traveled to Europe. I haven't traveled much to other parts of the world. Would you ever consider moving or living in France? I Did would, you ever? I, I would. I think it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, I don't know if you read... David Leibovitz's book La Part, where he talks about um, buying books, and remodeling an apartment in Paris, and it sounds quite difficult. So, huh. 
I mean, I, I think you he did had, a dinner with him. I no, did a bucks. couple d- dinners yeah. with him. Uh, That's I, cool. Yeah, he wrote a nice blurb for the back of the book. Um, huh. I think that uh, you also there's you know you have to financially be able to afford it, and I don't think it's as inexpensive as one would would think it is. Right. Right. Yeah, we're all in our winters. No, who wants to live the life of the starving artist, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good up until a certain point. Until so a certain you have point. Kitties to feed. More when you like like the good wine and the good food. Yeah. You gotta pay for it, baby. Yeah. Even if it's country. Gotta well, pay and to play. <laughs> country wine. Speaking of, of of wine and food and talking about country wine. Yeah. What wines, is this? Tell us so about this, this wine. This that wine we're that we're tasting today, and and I think it's always amazing how affordable French and Italian wines are in the United States. It, okay. Not all of them. I mean, yes, there are Burgundies that are incredibly expensive. But there are Bordeaux that are incredibly expensive. But Muscadet, so this wine is... Um, Which I'm going to have more of it. A, oh a Muscadet from a producer called Domaine de Papier, and they are like organic, biodynamic, super into the whole idea of their particular vineyards, how different each vineyard is, which um, a lot of people, you know, blend, but this winery does some blending, but for the most part, they're putting emphasis on their individual vineyards. And there's a movement in Muscadet. They um, always were, I think, a long time considered to be not that prestigious of a region. And then in the past, I would say 10 to 15 years, that has gone by the wayside. And they all have new laws where there are very specific types of wine. They're called communal, or, yeah, communal um, crews, which are uh, single um, regional distinctions based on the soil type. Hmm. And this uh, winery, they were on the forefront of making sure that happened. Well, what, why, like in the last 10, 15 years, you said Muscadet was not so well, um, I think had for a, a good a, reputation. Yeah, now, I think prior why? to that, um, well, I think because like the there's this wine. It wasn't sweet, but Instagram? it certainly had a certain. There was rap, a little like the French, the bad yeah. rap. Yeah. So um, the there bad were, French gave him a bad rap. <laughs> there were. Um, it wasn't hand harvested. There weren't like all this attention to detail. People weren't as careful. It had that reputation, and um, I would say 15 to 20 years ago, there it started, in my opinion, to come more to the forefront. These people who were making really good wine who were taking much more care of their vineyards it may have started before that but that's when i it reminds me so much of coffee when people talk about um the wine and the farming and all that and like the um the single variety right or varietal the single origin from this one farm and the soil and all that so it's such a similar language well what was interesting in muscadet is so before it was like more big production it seemed or um they weren't as careful and yet they had this amazing different soils. The so, there were so many different soil types, and so now they've divided them in these cru communo, which are um, or single origin, I guess is a good way of saying it, um, designations where, like, one of them, they are, like, growing on a granite called Granite of Clisson. Hmm. And so that is a designation now. And so it's just really... It's, it's very interesting, and yet at the same time, they are affordable. Like, I would say this wine is probably about $15. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Where, Retail. Where do you buy your um, most of your wine? Like, where do you... Um, I, I, buy, I, I buy a lot of Arrow wine. Arrow wine? Which is where I used to work for 10 years, so... Um, I buy from my friend Tracy Stannard, who owns Broad Branch and Soapstone Market because uh, yeah. she lets me tell her what I want her Chevy to order. Chevy Chase? <laughs> yeah, and Chevy Chase. <laughs> she stocks what you want and you buy and then, it from her. And then I will say uh, Siri at Bucks oftentimes will, awesome. will buy some stuff for me and, you know, if I want it. By the way, everybody, um, Vicky's son, Bryce, is the manager at um, Comet Ping Pong. Yeah. But did, did you, the, when the whole Pizzagate thing went down, how, what were you feeling about that? Was were Bryce there when the guy son? went in? Well, okay, so you have to understand Pizzagate was Did a they lot, shut down the lot, brothel that's underneath there? Yeah. Was, Pizzagate <laughs> was, a, was a lot more than just that gunman coming in. 
It was. I destroy the lives. It was. Of, it was a lot of people. Started. It. Um, it started in November. It started before the election, um, and they were basically tortured by just crazies for, for four or five months. And it's still to this day, you know, there are people who still send nasty emails or Facebook posts, etc. Bryce was um, really on the forefront of fighting against all the trolls for a long, long time. And it was horrifying to me, um, even like... I wasn't still working there, but my Facebook and Instagram posts got, you know, I don't, it's not hacked, but, you know, they found my account and they wrote terrible things about me on my Instagram posts and stuff like that. This is, um, this is a crazy so story up, that so happened here in Washington, D.C. It's, um, there's... Pizzagate, everybody knows about that. Well, I, 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 the, I, I was seeing somebody mention it just the last couple of days and just sitting there realizing, man, that thing resonated so far out. Everybody knew about crazy um, conspiracy theory that you know that said that under the comet ping pong there was a pedophile ring happening that is so like messed in up the basement, so in, insane. in the basement, in the basement which there actually is no basement and they don't have a basement right yeah it was, right. and then and then it ended up with somebody um walking in with a gun from north carolina right mm -hmm. i think so um that was, shooting that was, basically yeah. okay and, but and nothing the, happened the but lucky the lucky thing is that um, he walked in, he turned to the assistant manager, he said, get out. And the guy got all of the staff and all the customers out, the assistant manager did, and then um, the gunman shot up the place, but um, no one was hurt. Yeah, that, that, I think the that world was, that we live in. Well, people. but that was like that's kind of like at the big, very like um, this is a new thing. It seems like you know the beginning of this whole thing, because social media is fairly new. That these like right wing, I shouldn't even call it right wing. It's, 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 it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's both sides. It's everywhere. It is totally a hundred percent right, I mean, left, they're all. I hate to use no, that no, phrase. It's both, both sides. sides. No, no, yeah. both sides. At the, the extreme points are whack jobs. Right. Period. There. I mean, what the the rules of evidence do not apply as far as what do you believe in. You really need to look thoroughly I into that, it. I think and that Comet, the situation with Comet was the very forefront of the fake news. Yeah. And the whole idea of... And nobody realized that it could result all crazy ideas until someone walked into the door with a gun. Well, I mean, uh, people on Reddit uh, posted every staff member's um, home address. I don't want to talk about this. Let's oh talk gosh, about mercy on myself. Sorry, let's get back to yeah. beautiful wines. Sorry, like that, but that, yeah. that, that was interesting. Yeah. We all need Some to be very careful, people. Yeah, we I need to read. We need to push check our back. sources. We need don't, to be kind to each do other. Do not believe. You know, it's like do not being anonymous believe, and saying horrible things be online. Be open. Do not believe in belief. Belief is toxic. Do not believe in anything without um, pushing back on it and punching holes into it and asking for the sources, looking at the messenger that's delivering the news and then making an opinion whether it's something that uh, that maybe has credible um, evidence. It's yeah, it's like it's yeah. it's, it's a it's a, it's a um, hot topic right now because um, of what these things ideas do to one's own logic and what your reality is that you um that you live in it's like it's yeah thank thanks god everything you know no one got hurt so so where do we want to go with the conversation vicky now that i took, <laughs> that, that I took you down a very dark From hole the i'm happy very sorry to <laughs> hey i want to, I like to talk about everything I, no i do i do have a question are there women um winemakers yes there are, are women there, winemakers how, what's the percentage what did you encounter because when i think about the winemaker i I paint a dude in my head. I just that's what I see. I, I actually don't know statistically the percentage. In my case, there I visited women winemakers, not specifically only women winemakers, but um, three of. I'm trying to make sure I'm correct. I believe three of the eighteen wineries I visited, the winemakers are female. And in other ones, there are females who are very involved in the um, actual company or the, the winery. One of um, the first people that I wanted to visit was this winery in Alsace that I mentioned. Um, and the winemaker there uh, 
actually the the three owners were female. It was a mother and her two daughters. They were their last names are Fowler, and um, the winemaker Laurence was one of the most well-respected winemakers in all of France. She had organic biodynamic um, winery in Alsace, and they're one of the top-tier producers in the region. Unfortunately, the year after I was there for the harvest, the um, daughter who was just lovely um, passed away and then shortly thereafter her mother I think passed away so that was very sad Um, the winery is now in the hands of the third daughter who was the person in charge of the commercial aspect she's obviously very talented as well um, and knows so much about wine that was um, the first winery I visited where the winemaker was female then the Chianti producer that I talked about visiting the party she, <laughs> she, she's a lovely um, lady. She's lovely. With a wonderful she's balcony and she's great in, friends. In charge of, of the winery of her family's winery, and then the final one I visited, Ariana Occhipinti, is on the forefront of the natural wine movement. She produces wine in Sicily, and she's um, a media darling. And just a based on her age, but also just the incredible quality of the wines that she's making and her commitment to not just natural wine, but to making the wine in her area from the grapes of the area. She's, again, very interested in the whole idea of these grapes on this soil. Educate the pedestrian on natural wine, because it's something that you hear a lot about and it's really happening. But what is natural wine and what makes it such a thing right now? It's very non-interventionist. So they, it's, it's, it's organic, but it's all also about, you know, using as little product as possible and doing things in as natural way as possible. Um, but what I was going to say is some of the times in the wineries, like a winery I visited in the Loire Valley in mont the winemaker is actually a man, except his wife is also... Um, has a degree from the wine school in Bordeaux. And I believe during harvest, the man is out in the fields and she does the work in the cellar. So she's clearly a a very talented winemaker as well. But in the course of the year, when you don't have as many people working, she does more of the commercial work. And um, as a winemaker, she's very talented at selling because she knows, you know, all aspects of it. Do and these, they're also organic. Do these smaller um, family um, vineyards that are wineries that you visited, do, is it, um, do they live well off of doing what they're doing? Or are they struggling like the local farms, a lot of the local farms that we've worked with here? What is that? I think that um, it kind of depends on the size and what they're selling. Um, certainly, I think that if you are making Grand Cru Champagne, you live a, a better life than, say, the... Um, Moscadet. And, and maybe I won't say better life. You live a more financially secure life. Right. Um, what is a better life? Right. So right. That's, that was wrong on my part. But the people I was talking about with the duck crackling bread, so he, they own a winery called Grobo Barbara, and he had, his name is Denis Barbara, and he had purchased a share of the winery from this guy named Grobo, who is his partner, and now I believe that man is retired. So Denis is the sole employee of that winery. I think their son is going to come join them. And for the longest time, Monique was a, a elementary school teacher in town, so there was, you know, probably financial reasons for that. But um, that winery, they plow every cent they make back into the winery. I would feel they have a very good life, but I think financially it's not as secure as some of the other places. In fact, they sell little portions of vineyards to like investors so like they have a a winery or a vineyard right next to the house called Carteron and that one is owned there are investors who have invested in that vineyard and then um, a lot of times when it comes time to do work in the vineyard the investors will come in and help and I was there when a bunch of engineers from Paris who owned a different vineyard there so one of their their vineyards came and helped do the pruning and then we had a big party 
it seems like there's always parties. Yeah, everything's <laughs> an excuse for a party. But um, we had a big party outside, and, and because they just the the single that man, a single person, couldn't prune all of his acreage, so he. That's one way that he gets help with that. Were and they all super welcoming? Were they? Oh, yeah. That's how Everybody. it sounds, but I yeah. don't know. Did anybody say, hey, no, you're not. I, I'm not available. I feel like in that case, they just didn't let me come. Mm-hmm. Like mm. there were people who maybe, when I suggested it, said no. And I said, okay. I mean, as it is. Were you staying with them? Or you like It depends okay. on um, which winery it was. There okay. were times when I stayed in a hotel in town. There were times when I stayed with them. Um, there were times, like when I did the harvest in Provence, which was really fun. They had um, a guest house where all the workers were staying. And that, so I stayed in a guest house with a bunch of guys, which is kind of <laughs> Party. A little bit awkward. <laughs> they had a, uh, that one was funny because they had not just organic um, vineyards, but they had hops and wheat. And so they had their own organic beer that they brewed on the premises. So every day when they would come off of, come out of the fields, they'd be drinking pints. Drinking. Wow. Well, the funny thing I tell in the book, and this is honestly true, is they had these small wine tasting glasses. So, like, we have, our wine glasses here are, like, kind of a normal size, but there are these INAO tasting glasses, which are, like, about half the size of a normal wine glass, and they were pouring the beer into that, and every time they would do it, they would, like, let some flow over to get rid of the head, and they were constantly running out of beer. And so I said, really, seriously, just go get a pitcher fill the pitcher you know get the bubbles out just once and then pour for all of you and they looked at me like god what does this stupid american woman know about drinking beer and and in the book i say i suppress my three-word answer which was kansas state university um (laughs) (laughs) and that i didn't actually major in drinking beer (laughs) course like oh sorry (laughs) i didn't actually major in drinking beer in college but i did devote several block periods per week to that so (laughs) it's just but i mean you can't really say anything oh you guys are stupid but that's okay you're gonna be out of beer and that's your problem. <laughs> but they, I mean, they were, more. they were really nice. No, it wasn't the owner. It wasn't the owner. The and, workers. And the, it, was the it was the workers. workers. It was the harvesters. Yeah. And they were actually really nice guys. They And they weren't just guys. They were women as well, but not women staying in that actual house. Um, they were really nice to me, considering I was like some woman who just like, Showed hey, up, Run showed up, up here yeah, and told them how to, to drink, drink beer. beer. The the owners were incredibly nice, but they had children, and so they weren't down there drinking beer like, you know, the second they got out of the fields. And the and the husband was the winemaker, so he was off making wine. But the harvesters, they were nice to me, but they didn't think that I should opine on their beer. Of course, <laughs> on what, their beer delivery you know? method. <laughs> Have you ever considered? Getting your own winery? No, or, no? no that's not. I don't find that ah. interesting. Huh? Interesting. It's like everything that you talk about and how you talk about it in the book and all that. It just seems like that I think would be that's something. That's a lot that, of work. Yeah, and right. I think it takes a lot of money. Yeah, I would. I would venture to say that's a financial investment that would just be overwhelming. Huh? Yeah, yeah it seems like it's so idyllic, but I guess like any kind of like. Agricultural remember farming farmers. is like brutal. Yeah, they're farmers, and the vagaries of of weather are just intense. <sighs> we say that we always say, you know, we are very vulnerable with the business that we're in with gelato. I mean, coffee has really grown a lot in our business, but I mean, we depend so much on the um, on the sunshine, mm-hmm. and it's like the vulnerability of the farmers is even much um, much more so dependent on nature and could. Um, make you or break you and it's tough so one of the chapters in the book i talk about visiting a winemaker in volnay and volnay is in burgundy it's in kind of the the southern part of of the cote d'or and for some reason volnay and pomard and Merceau seem to be really susceptible to hail i don't know if it has to do with the way the land is shaped or you know i'm not a meteorologist i don't understand it exactly but the year I went to visit them, they had the two years before been almost wiped out by hail. And then I visited them. It was an 
a wonderful experience. They were having a big festival where they had horse-drawn carriages that took you out into the vineyards where they had these tasting tables. So, like, so fantastic. And then afterwards, he had a big luncheon at the winery, and we all joined him and his, his friends and his family. And then I went back to my hotel in Bone, and I was walking to visit a friend about an hour later, and the hail started, and there were two quick succession hailstorms in a row that destroyed 70% of the uh, production in Volney. So three years in a row, and imagine the resilience of somebody who keeps going Jeez. In, uh, in that type of a situation. I just admire them so much. Yeah, yeah, that's something that we've always said from um, working with so many farmers here. Just to know these characters that, that grow the food that they do and how they do it in several generations. It's, just, it's a different type of person than most times you come across in the urban setting. Mm-hmm. The farmers are amazing. Do it yourself. So, um, so resourceful. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah the, their resilience is just incredible. Yeah. yeah. So, Vicky, where can we, can we buy your book? Okay. So um, I've had some really great support in town, which I'm really thankful for. Uh, Politics and Prose has been really supportive of me. The best place to buy books in D.C., <laughs> by the yeah, way. Yeah. If you're coming to D.C., go there. It's not only like a wonderful bookstore. They have all these events. It's really happening. It's an institution. Upshur in Street DC. Books is carrying it, cool. which is really right nice of them. Um, and Arrowine is selling it. In fact, I'm doing a book signing event at Arrowine tomorrow from 1 to 4, Saturday from 1 to 4. It's also available um, if you go online and look at Vicki Ray, The Wine Table, and Skyhorse Publishing. That's my publisher. It'll pull you up on uh, the page for my book, and then um, you can choose which online source you you know, would like to purchase it from. Can you buy it on Amazon? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I know you didn't want to say it, but I'm just saying. Yes. Yeah, well, I just convenience, it convenience, is, convenience. Is, yeah. That's why, that's why I said it. we Part love politics and prose, but it, you know. It's well, but that's why that's why I was saying it. online. Um, you can buy. You, you can, can choose. When on the Skyhorse Publishing page, it shows a, a variety, a variety of, of websites. Online. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so thank much you for coming. Much. Thank, thank you for bringing for the wonderful goodies. So good to see nice you seeing again. you both. Yeah, and good job with the book. Gelato. Yeah, fresh gelato. Thank you, guys. Be kind to so one much. another. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full-service radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full-service radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.